welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode 106. I think it's 106. Yes, it's 106. I'm your host, Derek Moore, and this week we're going to be talking about the interest rate shock that happened last week. Does that actually, is that predicting greater outsized inflation that maybe wasn't there before? Seems like there's a lot of talk about how inflation could be much higher than the Fed is talking about. We'll also go through some of the year-to-date numbers on especially longer-dated bond ETFs and funds having a, a tough year due to the rise in rates. And I also want to cover some interesting things in the TIPS market. That's Treasury Inflation Protected Securities. And where the Fed now owns about 30% of that market, where they've bought it, it's on their balance sheet. And does that skew or kind of mess up the way we look at break-even inflation. I'll explain what that is. So without further ado, what happened this week? Well, we had a spike in interest rates, and we had a spike in rates that was pretty historic on a percentage basis. So Thursday, uh, all of a sudden, when I say a spike in rates, we're talking about you know the spike uh, or the, the interest rate on... U.S. Treasuries, so U.S. government bonds. And to put this in perspective, on Thursday, we saw about a 33, uh, yeah, about a 33% rise in the rates. You know, they went from 60 basis points, which is like, you know, 0.60, six-tenths of 1%. Uh, at one point, you know, they spiked, I think they spiked all the way up to like 0.85 or something like that. But they settled up uh, above 0.80. And that 33% raise in, in or change in the rate, look, I went back and pulled data as far back as I could back to 1962 on the five-year treasury bond. And that's 14,000, oh gosh, what was that? It was like 14,700 days. And what I did was I looked and I said, okay, how historic from a percent change in you know, the rates, up or down, was that? Well, it actually wasn't the top, believe it or not, uh, surprisingly enough. And I'll tell you when that was. But it was the second highest uh, percent change in rates ever. Well, <laughs> ever going back to 1962 where I could pull the data. Uh, and rounded, it's about 34%. So that's pretty historic. And I also went back and I said, well, let's look and see, you know, what would be a one standard deviation up or down change in rates? So of course, you know, you take the average and you look at you know, uh, once you have the average, then you look at uh, the deviation from the average. And one standard deviation, if my numbers are right, was about 2.17%. So 68% of the time, rates don't change, you know, outside of, of that range, right? So 33, 34%, uh, if I'm doing the, the quick math here, that's like a 16 sigma event. Let me just do my I calculate now about 15.7 time or 15.7 standard deviation move. So that's pretty wild. I don't remember what the, the equity market in 87 
how many standard deviations that was. I think that was similar. Maybe it was a 20 standard deviation move. I'd have to go back and look. I, I should have done that before the podcast. It's one of those things I just thought of as I was talking to kind of put it into perspective. Of course, 87 was when the market crashed. Uh, was, you know, the Dow was down like 20%, uh, over 20%. So really historic. And here's the thing. Now, I will say that, you know, if interest rates are 4%, that would have meant that, you know, for a change in rates equal to what we saw on Thursday on a percentage basis, that that would mean like, hey, interest rates are 4% and the next day they go to 5.36%. So a lot of people say, look, you know, this, uh, this number is so low that any significant move is going to be a higher percent, you know, change. And people aren't wrong who say that, okay? They're not wrong. But regardless, that's a really big, that's a lot of volatility with regards to, uh, you know, to the change in rates. So uh, here's the other thing too, I'll say in this. We know that, you know, duration matters. And the duration is really the sensitivity to changes in interest rates. So when you have you know, a, uh, a duration. Well, here, I'll just, uh, I'll put some numbers on. So modified duration or duration is one of the ways that you would actually go in and say, hey, for every 1% change in rates, uh, full 100 basis points change in rates, you know, what, what would be the change in the price of the bond? And so a five-year bond that has, let's say it started out with a coupon of 0.6%. Uh, its, its duration was about 4.9 years, which means if you had a full 100% basis point, a full 1% change in rates, uh, it, on Thursday it was about you know 20 basis points, uh, 60 to 80 basis points about. Uh, but if it was a full 100 basis points, like if it went from 0.6 to 1.6, you would expect to be down about 4.9%. So, you know, with the move the other day, it was a change of around, it was over 1% uh, down that those, those bonds experienced. So, you know, for sure that was a, a big move. But to give you an example here, you know, if, if we, I don't want to say normalize, but if we had a, a 6% interest rate, let's just imagine that rates were 6%. Um, you know, the duration actually goes down from almost five to about, you know, 4.2 or so. And duration on longer dated bonds is much greater. And it's much greater the number of years to maturity. And it's much greater the, you know, how low the coupon goes. So very historic. Um, now, you didn't ask me this. Well, you can't ask me this because I'm recording this. But um, it, I was just curious, you know, did we see a, a cluster of you know, when was the last time that we saw this craziness in rates? And the answer is, it was actually in March of last year. In fact, uh, if I if I do a search and I say, hey, show me every 20% move or higher, uh, besides yesterday's move, all of these were basically up and down. They were all in March of last year. Remember, that was, we were in the throes of the the market dropping and and the Fed coming in, moving rates to zero and everything. 
But we saw actually the highest ever was on March 10th of last year. It was a 43% increase in rates. Uh, but believe it or not, March 16th, rates went down 30%. So interest rate volatility is definitely something to watch. And when you see volatility in the rate markets, uh, it's also a little bit unsettling. So with the rise in rates, though, one of the things we've seen, too, is a lot of these bond funds that, especially on the longer end, so for example, there's a, a PIM code, you know, 25 plus duration, uh, you know, years to maturity, we'll call it, and uh, that's zero coupon, meaning they don't pay a coupon. So pretty much if it's a 20-year bond, it's, it's uh, modified duration. It's going to be 20, so that's, that's your sensitivity to every 1% change in rates. You know, year to date, it's almost down 17%. Um, five to, to seven-year treasuries are down almost 2%. 20-year treasuries down a little over 12 And, you know, the AGG, the aggregate bond index year-to-date, um, is down almost 3%. So those are, those are things, and, and I thought it was interesting, too. You know, normally people, and, and this is one of the, uh, the attractiveness of the 60-40 portfolio is the idea that, hey, we have a bunch of bonds that will go up if the market goes down. Well, guess what? On Thursday, bonds were down and the market was down. Bonds offered no protection when the market was was all the way down. So, you know, definitely if we see a situation where interest rates are causing uh, spiking or causing equities to go down, it would sort of break that 60-40 portfolio. Of course, I've done many episodes on alternative ways to hedge and, and the idea of you know, buying and hedging and putting real floors in portfolio. And we've also done, you know, sort of the myth of the 60-40 portfolio and some of the challenges there. I'll I'll try and link to those in the show notes uh, because you may find those interesting. So a lot of what people are talking about is this idea that, you know, a lot of inflation is coming. And so the money supply has been increasing. We know that. this new stimulus bill is going to pass and, you know, they're going to have a lot of stuff in there. They're also going to have some pet projects and uh, I'll call it quote unquote, you know, pork projects that are in there. I saw somebody wants a bridge, uh, you know, somebody else. I, I forget. You, you can read it. I'll leave that up to other people to discuss. But anyway, it's, it's uh, a lot of people view that as inflationary. And so you're increasing the money supply. In fact, you know, the money supply, I think was up 28% year over year, February of 20 to February of this year. And you know, the money supply, usually that's, that's M2 or MZM, which is kind of like near money. These are all available from the FRED site, FRED. Uh, Federal Reserve puts this out. Although I think they're discontinuing MZM because some of the components are being discontinued. And there's also going to be some changes. I haven't dug into it quite fully yet. Uh, to how they they do M2. Um, of course, they, they stopped reporting M3, I think, in 09. But, you know, a lot of people looking at this as inflationary. And so there's a couple things that you can look at. Uh, I'll link, of course, uh, to the CPI, the Consumer Price Index. But if you look at the Consumer Price Index, um, and that measures the theoretical basket of good, and, and it's weighted. And so you know, food is about 14% of that. And then you have, you know, subsets of that. Um, Then you have energy. Energy is over 6%. And, you know, you've got all all sorts of things 
And you know, like new vehicles has a about a three point seven percent. You know, used trucks and cars. There's apparel. Um, one of the biggest ones is shelter, and that's either rent of primary residence. That's about you know almost almost eight percent. And then owner's equivalent rent of residences. Maybe I'll do, you could do a whole podcast on what the heck that is. But that one's about 24%. And so shelter's 33. But owner's equivalent rent is like uh, literally kind of like a survey where they go out and they ask homeowners, hey, if you're going to rent out your house, what would you charge? Um, a lot of people think there's some issues with that one. Some people don't. Maybe that's, uh, I could do a whole podcast on that. So, so all these things are, are weighted differently. Uh, for example, bread has a um, 0.2% weighting. And so if bread, you know, went up by a hundred times, all else equal, you know, it would, it would cause a rise, but it's, it's sort of a, you know, a lower, lower rated thing. So I'll link to this. The CPI comes out. I think uh, February's will come out soon. And one of the things that you look at is you look at the month over month change. So for example, you would look at this February compared to January. And then you also might look at this February compared to last February. So for example, you know, in Jan 2020 to Jan 21, uh, you know, you sort of you look at the change in, you know, some of these items. And one of the things in general, like, you know, if you look at energy January of 21 to January of 2020, energy last month was down, you know, almost uh, 4%. Uh, motor fuel was down, you know, 8%. Fuel oil was down 16%. So I think when, when the February numbers come out, and that, those will come out in March, uh, likely you'll see a jump in those. But certainly, you know, th- this is one of the things that people look at. They look at trends. And the Fed also seasonally adjusts some of this stuff. So when you seasonally adjust it, you know, you might smooth it out a little bit more. But I bring this up because um, likely you're going to start to see, because remember we had the, the really harsh lockdowns back in in February and in March, well, I guess it was March of last year. Um, and then I think it was March, April. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of, so you're going to see some, assuming we stay unlocked, I guess that's the right way. Uh, I think you're going to see some year over year that seem like they're a little bit outsized because you had a lot of things closed down. So that's that's one thing to, to keep in mind. You just start to see these these prints come off of CPI. In Europe, I think the latest, uh, I think they do H uh, IPC or is it HCIPC? I forget. Uh, but their their most recent one was about you know 1.9, and uh, that was sort of you know the there's there's two ways of looking at it. There's the core, and then there's the uh, um, you know core. Uh, what well, core is you know. Less uh, less food and uh, and energy, which are, tend to be volatile, and there's the all items. So, you know, about one point four percent was the last one that uh, came out in January for us. I think Europe was like one point nine percent, and 
if you, I think the core was less because energy kind of drug that down a little bit, dragged it down. Is that a word? So anyway, uh, but I bring this up because I think the inflation trade or there's going to be outsized inflation is definitely uh, a crowded trade. And there's a lot of people on that side and people have been waiting for many years for inflation to come back. So uh, whether it does or not, you know, it remains to be seen. I will say, though, that one of the uh, there's a good correlation between what's called the velocity of money and inflation. And the velocity of money is basically you take your, your GDP divided by the money supply. And the last time I ran this, I guess I'll have to start doing it off M2 um, instead of MZM because they're discontinuing that. But the last time I ran this, the, you know, the velocity of money was only slightly above one. And that was for uh, the whole year of 2020. The last couple of months, velocity has been, been below one. And so when we had really high inflation, for example, we had, you know, inflation that was 8% or, or more, you know, money velocity tended to be above two and a half times. And money velocity just means, remember, it's just how many times does that same dollar get circulated. So you buy a paper, that person buys a slice of pizza, that person buys a cup of coffee, that person buys whatever they buy, Right. But if the same dollar is slower to move through the economy, you have lower velocity. And I bring this about because um, while certainly you would expect money printing to, to cause a lot of inflation, and it, it still may, um, so far the velocity of money has not increased. In fact, velocity of money continues to, to drop. And so if you, if you do a regression analysis and you do um, and you kind of look historically, I, I have numbers from 1960, uh, money velocity is not pointing to inflation, um, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. The, uh, um, and other people point to, hey, look, you know, CPI might not be going crazy, but fresh food was up, you know, over 3%. Um, and other, other aspects, you know, used cars have been up um, and things like that. So, you know, these are... Uh, you know, these are, these are sort of important things to, to look at. Um, there is an interesting thing, too, in the market forecast of inflation. One of the ways that things that people, you know, follow is something called, you know, break-even inflation rate. And basically, break-even inflation rate, you just take, you take the yield on the nominal treasury. It means just the normal treasury. And you subtract it by the, the equal maturity TIPS bond, Treasury Inflation Protected Security. And so if, uh, as an example, let's say that the 10-year Treasury is yielding 5% and the TIPS yield for 10-year uh, Treasury Inflation Protected Security is, I don't know, 3%. So you would take 5 minus 3, the expectation over the next 10 years, at least according to the, the bond yields, would be inflation of 2% annual. So recently, there was a little bit of an interesting development in the break-evens in that, number one, they're spiking both in the, the five-year break-even uh, rate. It's now 2.39%. And the five-year rate is also inverted with the 10-year break-evens 
meaning the five-year break-even is higher than the 10-year break-even. And at first blush, you'd say, okay, well, that's, that's predict the market saying inflation is going to be higher in the next five years than it will average over the next 10 years. So we'll see a rise and then uh, a lessening. So break-evens have their issues, um, you know, over the longer term. If you look at break-evens, they've tended to average, oh, you know, a little over 2%. And guess what? That's, that's sort of what inflation is. You see these drops when you're in really bad, you know, the, the teeth of recessions. For example, in November of 2008, the break-even was negative 1.79%, which said, over the next five years, we think we're going to average deflation, deflation of negative 1.79%. Um, and in fact, earlier this year, uh, sorry, in 2020, March 19th of 2020, inflation, the break-even rate was 0.14%, essentially meaning you're going to have no inflation, no deflation. You're going to essentially be flat for the next five years. So it, it's you kind of see what it is. It's just taking... Uh, one rate minus thing the other. So I bring this up because uh, one of the things I think that we're seeing in the bond market is the Fed owns, now owns, I think I saw, according to uh, something I was reading, they own about 30% of the TIPS market, meaning the Fed has actually gone out and bought TIPS bonds and put them in there on their balance sheet. And by the way, you know, they're, they're buying treasuries. Heck, they've actually bought high yield. They've, they've bought some, some corporates and things like that. So um, why do I bring this up? Well, I just pulled up a sample of a five-year TIPS bond. And so five-year is going to you know, mature in 2026. And I'm just looking at the yield to maturity on these things are minus 1.63% meaning that you know it's it's saying you're going to have a negative return on these according to the yield to maturity so i bring this up because we know that the the 10 year treasury uh, in fact if i pull it up uh, the 10 year treasury yield uh, i guess i should do the 5 year yeah 5 year uh, treasury yield right now i think i mentioned it sort of close to the opening right it spiked and uh, right, you know, on Thursday it was 0.81. And so, if you take that um, and then you you subtract it by your <laughs> negative yield to maturity, um, that's that's how you have that. I mean, you have a pretty wide gap, right? So, in other words, in this case, you'd wind up with the 0.81 plus the the the, the negative 1.6. So that gets you to your, you know, two four break even rate. But I bring that up because it, it's just kind of interesting if you have the Fed that has bought all these bonds and pushed up the price on tips, so that their prices, you know, when you buy them, you're paying so far above par, even including the dividends that you get. It's still a negative yield to maturity um, if you come down to the inflation adjusted. Uh, you know, par value that they do. And I'll try and link to, I think I did an episode on tips bonds that I'll link to. Um, I, I bring that up because I wonder if the break-evens are not giving a, a totally accurate view of what future inflation will be right now. And look, I'm, I'm not making a prediction that we are not going to have inflation. 
the way that you want to watch this, watch the break-evens, watch the bond market, watch the CPI, watch these numbers, and you know, you're going to see whether or not inflation is playing out. And it will, it will be pretty clear. Uh, but anyway, that's that's kind of what I wanted to talk about this week. I think it, you know we don't always talk about interest rates. We don't always talk about break-even inflation and tips bonds and you know all those sorts of things. Um, the CPI is is a little bit dry, but it's, uh, but as it comes out monthly, and that's going to give you a good indication of of prices. So, um, and by the way, the the situation where we had Yields rising and market going down the other day. I actually wrote about that in my book, uh, Broken Pie Chart, available on Amazon. I recommend people get it. It'll be a great, uh, what holiday do we have coming up here? We already passed a bunch. It'll be a good Easter present, but you should order now. Order it like today. Uh, but seriously, in the book, I I kind of wrote about the scenario. I wonder if, if we did have a situation of, of rising rates and spiking inflation, um, and, and I wrote that in the context of how the 60-40 portfolio may potentially not help you there and the need for alternatives. So, all right, with that, uh, please share this episode with somebody, uh, especially somebody who's never listened to podcasts or maybe people who do listen to podcasts. Go ahead and take the link, share it to them. They can pull it up on their iPhone app, their Android app. I was going to say a Microsoft phone app, but you shouldn't have one of those anymore. And then... Uh, you know, just just pass it along. Um, sure, you can rate it and review it. And we got we got a new five star rating recently on uh, on Apple. Appreciate that. But uh, go ahead and share this. All right, we'll talk to you next week. And uh, we'll be back then.